Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 174 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is June 20th, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Getting back to the swing of things, we're going to have a few people on the show. We'll have Coach Harvey Hyde, Dan Weber, Gerard Martinez talking all about USC football and USC recruiting. If you have any questions or comments for us, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or always give us a call 206-888-6755 is the number that's 206-888-6755 drop us a voicemail we'll play it on the air and answer your question we have coach harvey hyde in the first segment catching him in between runs between catalina and las vegas nice enough to join us on the show coach how's it going everything all right Buddy, uh, I'm just doing great. Again, uh, I want to uh, say to those fathers out there, happy Father's Day. I was over with my kids, and we had a great vacation uh, weekend, and uh, now it's time to go to work again. But uh, thank you very much for uh, having me on, and I look forward to our segment. Yeah, happy Father's Day to you too, Coach, and all the fathers out there. Hope you had a, a good Father's Day weekend. Uh, well, Coach, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about on the show. Um, one of the things you actually mentioned to us uh, just off the air before we were talking, getting on the show, uh, we put up a story on uscfootball.com recently. I was down at the, the BMOC 7-on-7 seven seven passing tournament. We ended up talking to uh, Darius Rogers, who's a wide receiver commitment for the class of 2012. And he's still, you know, he says he's committed, but he's still kind of wide open and through the whole recruiting process. We're going to talk to Gerard Martinez a little about more. He talked to uh, DJ Rogers quite a bit after the, that camp there, or after that tournament. But I, I want to see how different it was, Coach, back in the day, especially now with the USC recruiting in kind of a, a, a strange spot where they're only going to have 15 scholarships to give out per year. And it's going to be very difficult for Lane Kiffin to kind of keep the numbers in the right spot. He's going to have to be really precise but it's in a time when now you're hearing guys uh, like Rogers, who says he's a soft committee, still going to take visits, and you're not really sure. Obviously, until you know, we've seen guys in the past, coach, go on national TV and say they're going to go to one school, and then they sign a few hours later with another school. We've seen that you know happen to USC. Uh, Torian White said he was going to go to USC on TV, and then ended up going to UCLA. And we've you've know, seen that with Alabama and Auburn, a bunch of different places. How different is it now? What do you think about this whole? verbal commitment and soft commitments that we've been seeing nowadays? Well, you know, you've always had your strong commit and you've had that commit you better watch because uh, people are going to still recruit those commits even with a verbal commit, a soft commit or strong commit. But, you know, you know when a kid has really made up his mind as a coach. You know, you, you really know when you call. Uh, like uh, a couple of these kids at Turex or whatever his name was. Who, who does SC have, those big, that big tackle? That, uh, Max Turek. Yeah, Turek. I mean, he made it clear. He says, I'm going to SC. It's done. Don't bother me. I want to get into my senior sit- uh, season. I want to get ready for college. It's done. Done deal. Thank you very much, everybody else, but I'm going to USC. It's just made for me. Well, you know, uh, that's a man. 
That's a man that understands what's he want, what's he working for, and so on. And he doesn't need the extra eagle massaging of of coaches and so on out there that uh, uh, he wants to still talk with and play with and, and have you call every other week to see if he's still going to USC and so on. He's a man. He's made up his mind. He's going to meet the challenges at USC. It just fits, and it's going to be a great marriage. Then you have the players, the kids out there that, that yes, I, I'm right now I like USC. I want to go, go to USC. I definitely do. There's no question about it. But I still want to fool around. I still want to just have coaches call me and try to convince me that my ego needs that, or my name is in the paper more. I need to get out there and, and maybe look at other schools and really aren't convinced yet they can play at USC. And I'm convinced it is the best thing for them because of of the uh, maybe there's something I'm missing. So you have those type of kids. I mean, there's no question that there's about four or five uh, schools in the country that have that extra limelight, that extra ring that when when the phone rings and it's USC or Notre Dame or Alabama or it's Michigan. These kids get more excited because when they go to school and they see their buddies, they want to tell their buddies and their friends, hey, USC called me last night. And Well, did they offer you? And no, they didn't offer Yes, they offered me, and I, I haven't told them yet. So it's a, a lot of this going on, too. And a kid really, in a way, really knows where they're going. And if, and if it isn't the kid, then you have to find out who's going to be making that call. Who is that kid going to talk to when it really becomes time to decide where this, where I'm going to go to college? Who's he going to talk to? Who's he going to ask? Is it his coach? Is it his girlfriend? It is, is it his grandma, mother, father? Who is it? And that's the person you have to find out what's really going on with, and that's the person that you have to convince that when he comes to them or to the, her or whoever it might be, that that person says, go to USC. But, uh, you know, you're going to have that. You're going to have guys that need to have a little massaging and want to really be recruited. I call it, they really want to be recruited. But the thing that bothers me on that is why do you commit so early then? You commit early because you don't want to lose it. You don't want to lose the USC offer. So you commit early, but you still want to look around. So that's almost like saying, yeah, I want to get married with you, but I still want to fool around. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So uh, that's basically what it comes down to. But, you know, in, in a way, as a coach, it bothers you. But you're willing to offer a kid a scholarship, which means you only have 15. You offer, offer him a scholarship, and yet you really don't know if he's going to cash the check. So uh, until he signs a national letter of intent. So, you know, I think that when you when you commit, you ought to be able to give him a, a scholarship form and, and say, don't commit unless you're ready to sign. And if you're ready to sign, okay, let's get it done and move on. Otherwise, you know, why? what's a ver- verbal commit mean? Nothing, really, except people end up disliking each other later on when they, 
go to another school when they've already told a school that they're going to go to that university? Or what if a school offered a kid a scholarship and then that kid came back when he was ready to go in this, and, and he, they told the kid, oh, we don't have that scholarship anymore. We gave it to somebody else. See, so you 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 got to have a real good marriage when he's when a kid says I'm coming to USC and you say, you got a scholarship. The school's required to keep it. As far as you know, people would be, would be really critical on that school if the kid wanted to go there. Then all of a sudden they didn't give him a, a scholarship after they offered it to him. But I think it requires. Uh, to have a good commit or have a good feeling with a recruit or a player coming in, somebody who is willing to say, hey, coach, I'm coming. Uh, don't worry. I'll be there. I, I like that type of feeling better. And, hey, uh, yeah, I'll take your scholarship because I don't want to lose this offer, but I still want to see other schools. I, I don't know. Why would you say you want to go to USC or go to Arizona State or go somewhere else and then still want to visit other schools? I don't understand that. Well, you know, one of the other things, Coach, we're seeing, and I want to maybe this happened back when you were coaching as well. You know, Gerard will be out at a camp or something. We'll talk to players, and sometimes players or coaches or parents of players will claim to have a USC offer. So they'll say, you know, Gerard will do an interview, and uh, or anyone, you know, and they'll say, yeah, USC called and offered me a scholarship, and then you know we hear through the grapevine that that really wasn't true, or maybe they come out later and say it doesn't happen. So it's kind of there's some misinformation out there. Uh, did that kind of stuff happen too? Did, did people claim like, oh, we have a, an offer from UNLV from Coach Harvey Hyde, and you're like, we never offered that scholarship. Did that stuff kind? Of, did that kind of stuff happen? Not often, not very often. Uh-uh. Uh, when you when you when you offer a kid a scholarship, you tell everybody else. And I used to have a kid commit in front of someone, so other people would hear it, because I don't want a kid telling me, uh, oh, I never committed to you. So when we used to offer, we used to offer so people would hear it, and they knew, yes, it was a definite offer like a parent. But then I wanted that kid to tell me that he was coming uh, right in front of people. I used to, when people would commit, let's say, on a visit, we were on a visit, and we were in my office on a Sunday talking together, and he said, Coach, I want to come to USC. I said, okay, let's, let's call around and tell people that. Let's first of all call your parents and let them know. I wanted him to tell a lot of people, hey, I'm going to USC. They offered me I'm going to USC. I said, well, when you get back, tell your coach, or we'd call the coach. Hey, coach, uh, this Harvey Hyde calling. Just wanted you to, to talk to uh, this young man for a minute, uh, Bob, and he had something to tell you. And he would he, you put him on the phone, and he goes, coach, I'm going to USC. Oh, good, great, okay, and coach, if you want to tell the newspaper, well, I'd tell him, hey, time to tell your coach to tell the newspaper. That way we'll get some additional uh, information. You want to commit him solid, solidly, which means call his grandma, call his coach, call everybody, so that he is really then committed to USC, not, yeah, I'm going to call my coach and tell him, hey, coach, I'm going to USC, but I'm soft. Now, don't be telling me you're soft-boiled. You're hard-boiled. <laughs> you know, you're going you're gonna to commit him. You're going to make sure that he's telling everybody, and you're listening in his voice, just how committed he is to be a Trojan or whatever. Oh, it makes sense. makes sense. I mean, it's just it's different now. I mean, recruiting is just so 
crazy, and that's why you know we have to we cover it pretty much 365 days a year. But it's always good to get your perspective of how things work behind the scenes and all of that. Um, well, one other thing, Coach, I wanted to before we let you go to talk about a little bit. Um, it's kind of a, a unique timing that you know finals are over. The people are in summer school now. The fall athletics for USC is now complete. Uh, a couple national championship teams, uh, three peats actually with for Pat Hayden's first year, uh, men's water polo, men's tennis, you know, three peating as national champions, obviously dominating their respective sports. I think uh, as several other teams make the, the final fours, uh, you know, they, they finish really well overall as far as athletics go. Um, so I think the, the state of the athletic program overall seems to be in a very good state, obviously with football getting hit with the sanctions and not getting any relief there's still some pressure on Pat Hayden because football is obviously the big sport, the, the moneymaker there. Uh, you know, that's the sport that most people care about as far as USC goes. I mean, you know, they like basketball, baseball, all that kind of stuff, but football is obviously the number one sport for USC Trojan fans. What do you think of the overall state of the athletic department? I mean, is, how, how is Pat Hayden doing? Do you think there's some pressure on him and, you know, where does he go from here? Well, you know, you always try to go up. Uh, I think that the school in itself uh, probably ha- could have had a better banner year. I mean, with the new president and so on, what have they raised? $460 million. They've had a couple of huge donations to the university, which means the alumni or certain people in the uh, development office and so on have done a tremendous job. They've also now have the new J.K. Mas- or John McKay Center being built, which uh, has had uh, tremendous uh, success in as far as uh, the planning of it and also the completion of the planning. Pat Hayden took that over from uh, Mike Garrett's uh, tenure, and they completed that, and they're breaking ground, which will really help them in their athletic department. I don't think some of the things that happened recently uh, as far as with the athletic a pro, uh, the football program's appeal was positive, but I think they'll play through that. I was talking on the way back uh, from to, from Catalina with a kid that works on the boat that I always talk on all the time, and he's an avid Notre Dame fan. And he asked me the same question. I said, SC, Alabama, Ohio State, these type of schools were fair out during these sanction periods or probation periods because traditionally they are great football programs. And how else can a program who has been given all these sanctions, the appeals hadn't been even come back yet, and they and they their decision made on them, and they end up with the fourth top recruiting class in the country. How does that happen? Because of the university, first of all, the athletic department, and then the combination of both can overcome the NCAA. That is why the NCAA makes such a stiff and hard penalty on these type of universities. Because they know if they just slap their hands, it will make no difference. Not that it It makes no difference because these teams will play right through it. Kids will play right through it. So they try to punish them normally, you know, uh, harder. I think this might be a new method with USC being the hardest, you know, except for SMU, the death penalty that's happened. Maybe now we'll see what the ricochet effect of this is 
with what happens now at Ohio State or what's going to happen at Auburn or now with Oregon this past week on, on now that additional incident that happened there. You wonder just now if they have decided that these type of universities can overcome it too easily and it doesn't really affect their programs like it might a team that doesn't have the clout or the prestige of a university like USC. So uh, USC will play right through the, the football situation. They've only got one more year now as far as not being able to play in the championship game if they were to play in it next year or also the uh, a bowl game. So they'll get through it. It's sad that these kids have to uh, have or, or serve a, a term of, uh, for something they had nothing to do with. But it's something, what else can you do? Uh, it, it, it took that long to decide what they were going to do, and look how long it took them to uh, work on the appeal before they could decide what they were going to do. But I think a lot of this thinking is that. And what I will never know, we'll never know until we see what happens at Ohio State and some of these other schools. But I just think they can't get away with what they did with USC and not really sanction hard these other schools at the same time. And uh, we'll just wait and see what happens with that. But, yeah, SC's program, I think, under Pat Hayden the first year, uh, had a great year. Uh, I mean, you know, could have been a fantastic year. if The volleyball team could have won the NCAA championship. They got to the Final Four. I think Frank Cruz's baseball team showed a lot of great improvement. And I really enjoy him getting to know him and and uh, seeing what his plans are for the baseball program. I think uh, the basketball program certainly, uh, I hope now being off the sanctions and everything else can, can improve to what if they've signed five or that verbal, verbal commits on five three-star players uh, for next year's recruiting class. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, you know, really, any other university having winning one national championship, they'd be dancing in the streets. Uh, so USC winning two national championships, uh, three repeats, uh, very close to winning other national championships. The tennis team, what a great year they've had. So, you know, yes, but everything still focuses on football. I agree with you 100%. Because that's the first big uh, sport of the year. It's It comes right off of summer vacation. It unifies the school. It sets the tone for the entire school year. Bragging rights from the university, the whole package. Uh, the tailgating, showing people where you sit, all the stuff that makes it a, a tremendous Saturday. And who knows? I mean, this football season could be really a strange football season because of the NFL and the situation with the NFL. We might be having college football on Sunday. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it would be ridiculous if the NFL and the players and the owners don't work this out. But it could be a fantastic college year, and the only thing you have to look at is is, uh, the pride of USC's football program and they'll be playing for pride. They'll be playing for their own bowl game. Every game will be their bowl game. USC has got to think that way football-wise. 
you got to get fired up as a football player and you say, yeah, we can't go to a bowl game, but we're going to show everybody we should be in that bowl game. And that's exactly what you have to play with, but you're not going to, because you're four, but you're not going to change anything. You got to go in there. And I think this group, as we've discussed before, has grown up now and matured under this investigation period, under the penalty period, under the appeal period, where they really don't give a damn anymore. They just give a damn about playing football, getting the football, getting their, their degrees, getting the season going, and beating people. I really think that's what they're thinking about. I think they're tired. At first, it's a shock to hear all these things. These kids don't even hear this stuff like they have to give the rings back and all that stuff. They're tired of hearing all that stuff anymore. Nobody's going to give their rings back. Everyone knows who won the national championship. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's just stuff for the media to talk about and write about. For the NCAA to say, you know, what they've done. They sent the Heisman Trophy back, and now they've lost the national championship. Now, who really cares? I mean, that that's done and gone with. Let's move on. Let's see who else is next to uh, your next opponent and who, who's your next person that's going to challenge you. And I think you take a little bit more pride in being able to win when people don't expect you to win or made it harder for you to win. So you challenge yourself more to obtain your goal and beat all those teams that will be going to bowl games, and then you can sit back and sort of laugh at them and say, see, we're the team that's still the best. I agree with you 100%, Coach. I think the Trojan fans out there as well, they just want to put this behind them, watch the team on the field, and, and they go for a bid to try and go 12-0 and and just beat every team in front of them each and every week. So it'll be it'll be fun to watch, Coach, and we're going to get to talk a lot more about it as the season approaches. It's coming really fast. Uh, but I wanted to thank you for coming on, and, and thanks to all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day to them. And I wanted to thank Southern California Tickets as well. Uh, they've been kind enough to sponsor this segment. Every time that Coach Harvey Hyde comes on, 1-800-888-7287 or sctickets.com is where you can go if you need tickets for anything. I think I'm going to catch a Dodger game, game pretty soon, Coach. I'm going to take my little brother out there, so I'll give Southern California tickets a call on that. You can give them a call, and you can count on them for anything. Uh, they got tickets for all events, and they teach you right, and uh, all you have to do is be honest with them and tell them, hey, this is what I want, but this is all I can pay. And I think that's the best way to go. All right, Coach. Well, thanks again for coming on, and uh, hope you enjoy your time out there in Las Vegas. Hope it was fun in Catalina. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much, guys, and have a great week out there. All right, everyone else, we'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have USCFootball.com beat writer extraordinaire Dan Weber joining us to talk about 
this USC football team. How's it going, Dan? Very good. All right. Yeah, enjoying the uh, enjoying the summer, enjoying the workouts. Uh, it's kind of um, uh, it's been a, it's different, interesting, and I think we're learning a lot. So uh, um, very much uh, kind of this is we're a little ahead of the game. I think this summer we don't know that we've ever seen them quite where they are now in any comparable summer. Yeah, it's definitely it seems a little different, and I think that now with the 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 appeal behind everybody it seems like the team is singularly focused on getting this season going getting fall camp going getting ready and starting to play some football games i think it was probably best conveyed we had a photo by uh, barry markowitz who's the father of abe markowitz he was out here on thursday for their uh throwing session we were down on howard jones field and we had it up on the front page for a while it's in one of your stories there i'll, I'll have to repost that photo again but it was a full team photo everyone stayed after practice and jumped on each other's shoulders everyone was smiling and happy after their their workout they had already worked out with coach osmus earlier in the day their strength and conditioning stuff and then they did a throwing session and everyone that was available that wasn't in class came out for this big group photo and it was just everyone looked genuinely happy and it seems like the, that's what the guys are doing now they're just ready to play they're they're sick of talking about the ncaa just want to get on the field and start playing well and they're happy the thing about it is uh uh, if, if, when people turn their video on, uh, uh, listen to those guys. They're really having fun. I mean, they, they're into the plays, you know, either the offense or the defense or sometimes both. But uh, I, I, I would say I have not quite seen a summer like this in terms of obviously more organized, more guys showing up. They've got more things for everybody to do, clearly. Um, and we saw that in the winter workouts. You, start, you saw, for example, the defensive linemen coming out on their own, or, or they'd be guys like George Yuko running patterns as tight ends or whatever, things we hadn't seen, seen before, finding things to do, older guys helping younger guys. Uh, there is a different flavor about this team, a different character. Like, okay, last year you know, could have been better, should have been better. Now we know. And uh, we're past that, and we're going to make sure that doesn't happen again. And we're pretty good. You know, I think they 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 believe they're pretty good. I mean, it, I think maybe people are underrating these guys, and I know it's hard to know exactly what should we be thinking of them. But it just hit me, and I don't even know which of the five, which of the magazines I was writing about last week, and they had the list uh, and of say recruiting classes for example and USC had the only recruiting class only top only school with a top five recruiting class all five of the last five years that basically makes up this year's team and three of them were let's see I guess uh, three number ones two number ones I guess and uh, you know almost nothing below you know a four nobody else even came close and you you know and they've lost some kids along the way but basically those kids are all there. There's a lot of talent. Uh, the other thing we were looking at, and I know people are going to be worried because uh, you've got four juniors, you know, Matt Barkley, TJ McDonald, Nick Perry. Um, boom, boom, boom. Who am I missing here? Uh, the fourth junior. Uh, boom, 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 boom. Why am I not uh, coming up with the four? Oh, Matt Cleo. So you've got four juniors who are getting really, you know, Pretty good, you know, mention and, you know, the, the Khalil and Barkley are two of the top five in the next year's NFL draft and some, you know, some picks and 
all four of those guys might be, you know, potential All-Americans. Uh, T.J. McDonald was picked as a first-team All-American safety by Athlon last week, and just that kind of thing. And I'm thinking, who else has four juniors that good? I'm not sure. Does anybody? I don't know. But, you know, people can say, okay, some of the downside is all four of them could go to the NFL draft. But they can't go to the NFL draft unless they have a pretty good year. And uh, I don't know. I just feel uh, there's a feeling about this team that uh, they might have a chance to, you know, no matter what, you know, what the limitations are on them, they might have a chance to have a lot of fun and, and, and be pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, it, it just from watching them out there, it does look like, I mean, I think we, you wrote about this, Matt Barkley looks better. We haven't seen a lot of the offensive lineman stuff, obviously, because those guys, they're not really going in pads, but we can see some of them out there. You know, we see uh, <clears throat> Khalid Holmes out there uh, snapping the ball, and, you know, he's working at center. We didn't get to see him in the spring. But those juniors you mentioned, it seems like those guys are, are performing really well. Like T.J. McDonald leading the defense, and it seems like they're doing all the right things, at least this summer. Yeah, I mean, there's a maturity about him, and and that will happen. And 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 I guess there, you know, there are two ways you can look at that. You know, guys are getting ready for the NFL, and we'll see what happens. I know Matt Barkley the other day said, uh, if I go back to Bristol next year, you know, because of course he got sandbagged by uh, Ed Cunningham, who, you know, had uh, Darren Thomas show a 70-yard touchdown pass, and then he had Matt have to describe an interception, which you know, typical. ESPN, uh, uh, you know, way of doing things. <laughs> Matt said, if I go back next year, that's not happening. I'm not, I'm not following for that. Well, you know, so that's where it is. You know, he might be going back next year and he might not be going back next year. And that's, you know, that's kind of, the, you know, where things are. But, you know, and they're all going to have to be thinking about it. And uh, it's one of the things, and I know people say, oh, just stop talking about the NCAA and all that. But it is one of the things that makes you a little mad is those four guys, for example, will not get to play in a bowl game last year, this year, or play in the Pac-12 championship game. And that makes me mad. They didn't do anything wrong. There's no way they should be punished. There's no way they shouldn't be able to have a chance to be in the um, you know, first Pac-12 championship game if they earn it. No way they shouldn't be able to be in whatever bowl game they earn their way into. And it's just wrong. And anybody that had anything to do with that decision did, you know, harmed those kids, did something to them uh, that they didn't deserve, and they should hear about it. And I don't think we should ever forget about it. However, I do think we should take our cue from those kids and have as much fun uh, watching them play football as as they're having playing football. Uh, I think they're giving us uh, some really good direction as to, how to, you know, look at this season. They're having a heck of a lot of fun. And um, I think, you know, we're going to take our keys from those guys. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, see how it goes out throughout the field. I mean, throughout the uh, the summer workouts there. But it does seem like fall camp is on their minds. I mean, it's a, it's a great way for these guys to stay sharp. But it does seem like they have a goal. I mean, they, they know they want to get in the pads and they want to get everything ready go through those three or four weeks or whatever of fall camp and then and get the season underway and kind of take, I guess, take a game one game at a time and see if they can push their way towards 12-0. Well, you know, and, and, and the thing you see, they look like a team. Uh, you know, this is uh, 
they're not, you know, everybody wearing their own, you know, their own gear. Uh, um, Dylan Baxter accepted, <laughs> but but they really do have this, you know, team look. You know, uh, they're they're just, you know, there's this sense of, you know, the the way they're dressing, the way they're, uh, you know, the way they're looking. Uh, 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 there's a real emphasis uh, as much as we see a lot of individual guys doing a lot of stuff there sure seems to be a lot of uh, emphasis on team and uh and preparing as a team and uh when you see the i mean i don't ever remember offense and defensive linemen uh you know working themselves together and you know guys if they're hurt you know a markowitz is not hurt but he hasn't gotten cleared on his fractured foot so you know, he's calling signals or lining them up or playing quarterback or whatever. I mean, they really, really, you know, are, are, are working in ways, again, we have not seen. And with the older guys taking the younger guys under their, you know, under their wing and, and, and really doing things purposefully, uh, finishing up every practice with uh, a two-minute drill and all of that kind of thing. I mean, it's just, uh, uh, again, it's uh i'm i'm fairly impressed with with what i'm seeing and barkley's looking now he's no longer a teenager he looks like a 20 year old who's in his fifth you know finishing he just finished his fifth semester in college there's a different look about him a different feel uh uh physically he looks different uh and uh he he's he's in charge and he it's not like well, you're in charge because nobody else is. No, he's really in charge, and uh, and uh, they know it. T.J. McDonald, in a lot of ways, is in charge, and and uh, you know I, I I always refer back to nine years ago, and I had gotten the job covering USC and UCLA at the Riverside Press Enterprise, and they had they only had one slot. They had had a, a cutback in in staff, and they needed somebody to cover both programs. I remember. I did the interview in July and immediately got in my car and drove down to Howard Jones Field just to see if anybody would be around. And I still remember the first, you know, summer workout and probably 25, 30 guys there. But the two guys running it were Carson Palmer and um, and Troy Palomalu. And I, I remember that, you know, they were coming off a six six year and I had seen them play, you know, maybe twice the year before and hadn't been able to make up my mind. And I was watching practice and thinking, how bad could these guys be? Look at, you know, because you could see them up close and you thought, man, that Carson Palmer's really good. You know, he is as good as he was supposed to be, you know, coming out of high school. And then you you, you looked at Troy and you just said, holy crying, they can't not be pretty darn good. And you're getting, you know, whether you're ever going to have guys uh, individually like those two guys, uh, you're getting that sense a little bit, you know, that this could be, that was a turnaround team. And, you know, they, after a couple of years and all the things that USC's had to go through, they probably need a turnaround team uh, this year. And do they have a chance? I think, I think maybe, maybe they got a chance. Yeah. We will see, but we'll, we'll stay tuned to the site and all your reports, Dan, from the, the summer workouts leading up to, fall camp and all that but i wanted to get to a question first uh jj jjb had a couple questions actually he says he loves the podcast he listens every week and for dan weber he wanted to talk about the ncaa i know we're going to talk about a little bit we're going to try and focus on the team more but we do want to talk about a little bit um he says you know 
one person told me the reason that USC took it on the cheek so badly from the NCAA is because so many people hate USC, probably out of jealousy, particularly the football team. They said that the NCAA hates them as well as other schools. Uh, is it, it, you know, Eastern sportscasters, is there a bias there? Is there any truth to that? And he also wanted to know about the scandal. Uh, it seems like this is the Watergate of college football. Where are the Woodwards and Bernsteins out there of sports journalism? Why aren't people kind of getting on this story and, and talking about the wrong that was done by USC from the NC2A? Well, I think on the second part of that, uh, I think people didn't do their homework and probably spent three and a half years of yelling and screaming and why doesn't USC get what's coming to them? They're dirty as can be, la da 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 you know, and they didn't understand that it was one player, one family, who knew how much, you know, do we still don't know how much he was involved, exactly how it happened. We don't have any evidence that is the kind of evidence that you would say really uh, implicates the school in any, you know, in any serious way. I mean, obviously, you know, USC's compliance department got, you know, got criticized, and yet, as it turns out, their two-man compliance department probably performed at a level far higher than, say, Ohio State's uh, state-of-the-art compliance department, as we're finding out for the last 10 years. You know, USC got killed for having an un, not completely filled-out form for Reggie Bush's nine-year-old Impala. Now we find out that an audit done at Ohio State they had 44 unregistered cars in the spring owned by football players, relatively new cars. Now, uh, yeah, has there been, yeah, has USC taken it on its chin because the NCA, yes, the NCA, it took them four years. They, uh, I think they scrambled. They were embarrassed. Uh, everybody in the world was yelling, you know, how can you let USC? And, and people were thinking, still think USC paid players. They still think USC couldn't have been that good because they know in their conference, in their state, they probably couldn't be as good as USC was for all those years unless they were cheating. People don't understand this. USC won three Heisman trophies in four years. At that time, Alabama... University of Alabama, Paul Bear Bryant School, with all those national championships, had won exactly zero Heisman trophies. And USC won three in four years. Whenever USC got a chance to play a SEC team, they killed them. I mean, they killed them, uh, embarrassed them, beat them to death. It scared those people like nothing ever could. That really matters to them. And, and what drove them crazy was it's like USC, it's not the end of the world. They've got other things to do also. You know, it's not all college football. And uh, there was just a drumbeat going that they had to show USC and they got an, oblig you know, they got an obliging uh, committee on infractions that, you know, threw out all the rules, threw out all the precedents, threw out all the, you know, any – you know, idea of fairness or, you know, evidence or whatever. And it just was the perfect storm as far as USC, uh, you know, uh, getting, you know, just absolutely clobbered. And it didn't help probably 
that uh, over the years USC hadn't developed, you know, they, uh, a great relationship. I know, um, you know, it was hard uh, if if your athletic director basically says, you know, I'm I'm never going to be on any of those NCAA committees, and you know, I just that's not how I how I do things because if you look now, for example. Uh, Ohio State's under the gun, but Ohio State's athletic director also happens to be chairman of the men's basketball tournament committee. So, uh, you know, Ohio State's in a, you know, a different position. It will be harder for the NCAA to really come down on Ohio State than it was for them to come down on USC. Uh, that's just the way things are, and the NCAA's now changed all their rules so that they don't have to follow precedent that any committee on infractions, you know, panel can do anything they want, and they can say, well, those were unique circumstances to this one particular case, and we just decided, you know, to throw the book at them. Uh, but I think it was a whole lot of things. I don't think it was any one thing. I do think USC, uh, for that, you know, that decade, did things so easily and smoothly and didn't, you know, they can't believe USC wasn't doing what a lot of those other schools are doing. And USC didn't have to. The run that Pete had and the players he had and the access to talent he had and the way they were playing, they just, you know, had one of those remarkable, you know, one-of-a-kind runs. Uh, but uh, that isn't how it was perceived in, in a lot of places because they didn't want to believe USC could be, you know, that much better than they were. And uh, USC was, you know, for that time, uh, they were. I mean, that Oklahoma game, can you imagine? I mean, they, they Oklahoma, we, you know, we were down there and those people were so convinced USC couldn't stay on the field with them. USC wasn't big enough, strong enough, tough enough, took it to, uh, you know, they were having fun at practice. They weren't serious. You know, they done it all. I mean, it was, you know, and then that game happened. And you know that shook people, you know, to their very foundation. And they thought, how can this be happening to us? You know, they must be doing something. And uh, people believed that. They really, they really believed it and still do. And kind of a shame. And the NCAA obliged them by saying uh, uh, whatever little teeny tiny slivers of, of stuff that they had on one player, uh, they didn't have a single academic issue, didn't have a single um, recruiting issue, four years of investigation, didn't turn up one uh, on the two areas that are supposed to be the most important areas. Amateurism is the third area. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, so I don't think the sports, yeah, I don't think the sportscasters were, that wasn't a big part of it. I mean, USC probably got more coverage. I mean, basically ESPN set up a Howard Jones Field Bureau where they were broadcasting from every day, uh, by the end of the, you know, the period, they, they over, probably over covered USC, made everybody hate USC. I mean, there's no question, uh, USC got more coverage almost than, I mean, I guess if you'd have balanced out the number of reports during the uh, the, the last year with Reggie and and, and Liner and what have you, uh, USC. I mean, in a sense, you've got two you had two Heisman Trophy winners in the same backfield. You know, it's happened 
one other time in history. Uh, yes, he probably equaled the rest of college football in terms of live reports. Uh, that didn't go over very well. Uh, that was that was too much. And so I actually think, in some ways, the sportscasters and the coverage hurt USC by being too uh, praiseworthy and too over the top. You know, the whole is this the greatest team ever and all that. And, you know, everybody knew if you were paying attention that they, they had a lot of issues on defense and they had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of potential problems, which uh, obviously played out. Uh, but uh, I don't think it was, you know, so much bias. I just think some people got scared and the NCAA was getting uh, beat around because they hadn't, you know, eventually, uh, you know, come up with uh, – with you know, anything definitive that they really, really, you know, you know, they probably got a hundred times more evidence with the Ohio State case right now, and they're probably not even looking hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what are they going to do? I mean, you know, basically they took what they got from Yahoo, and uh, you know, turned that into a case, and uh, you know, that was it. Too bad. Yeah. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff as always, and we'll. Uh... See you out there on the field this week and get some more information. Should be interesting. We'll get yeah. to see some of the other uh, new freshmen. Not sure exactly, you know, how their schedules are going to work out and all that, but that'll uh, be the second, uh, you know, influx of freshmen this summer. So uh, that's always fun to get to see those guys in person. See how how tall are they really, you know, or how how big are they really, or how well do they move when you see them, you know, in person the first time and that. That's that's always fun. So that'll be Tuesday. It'll be fun. So we'll be out there. Check out uscfootball.com for all Dan's reports. And uh, Dan, we'll have you on the show again next week. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Ryan. Enjoyed it as always. All right. And everyone else, we'll be back in 30 seconds talking to Gerard Martinez about USC football recruiting. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have uscfootball.com National Recruiting Analyst Gerard Martinez joining us in this segment. Hey, Gerard, what's up, man? How are you doing? I'm doing good. Welcome back to the States. Yeah, back here at the United States for coming back for Father's Day. Now, just come back for my wedding. If you didn't hear on the last podcast, I was... Uh, we missed one two weeks ago for my wedding in Cabo San Lucas. That's the first one we missed, Gerard, in uh, three years. So we have a pretty good record. Not too bad. Hey, man. I was here. I was uh, I was doing my own podcast in my head that day. <laughs> I got to show you how to do the podcast yourself. So if you want to do it, you're uh, you're welcome to take it over while I'm away, uh, which I guess hasn't happened in three years, which is kind of sad. But um, anyway, let's get on to talking about recruiting. Uh, we were both down, and Adam Gorney from Rivals.com, down at the uh, – BMOC seven on seven passing tournament at the Home Depot Center. Um, some USC prospects out there, not 
not a ton of guys, but you know, you you put a report up and talking about some of these guys. Who out there really impressed you? The big man on campus passing tournament, which is uh, sponsored by Under Armour along with Keyshawn Johnson, and Keyshawn Johnson coaches one of the teams that uh, participated in the camp, kind of hosted um, the, the passing tournament. And uh, he and, and Brian Kelly were there in their team, 1925, which has been a part of the passing circuit, as we call now. You have the camp circuit, and then you have the passing league circuit with passing league all-star teams, and then you obviously have passing league, which is more where you have the high school football teams uh, when they're out there in their passing league and as teams are out there competing against each other. This was an all-star type event, which was a passing event. And um, it was good. You know, it had a, a solid amount of players out there. Uh, as you said, you know, kind of a, a handful of prospects uh, that USC is looking at right now, uh, maybe a handful of prospects that they might look at down the line with 15 scholarship. And we've talked about that ad nauseum. You know, there's not a lot of room there to kind of explore, you know, a whole lot of different players uh, at a whole lot of different positions. And this being a passing tournament, there are no offensive linemen. And it's really a great year for offensive linemen and defensive linemen in Southern California, California, on the West Coast in general. And when you don't have that aspect uh, this year during, uh, you know, the passing tournaments, it's kind of a little underwhelming. I, I think, you know, gone to a lot of these things, it gets a little boring just because, you know, really the players we want to see this year are big defensive linemen and, and offensive linemen. Uh, but with that said, there was still uh, a good group of skilled players out there. You know, the receiver position is, is strong also in Southern California this year. And, uh, you know, some intriguing players. I, I think the receiver position is still a position that USC fans, in terms of recruiting, are, are kind of debating. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of controversy, you know, starting to stir up uh, on the peristyle because, you know, a lot of people are kind of getting behind certain receivers, certain recruits. They like this guy. You know, Jayon Mickens, I like this guy because this, this, and this. We need to take Jayon Mickens. Kind of knowing that USC, at the end of the day, is not going to take these three receivers, um, I think, as a group, I don't know that they'll take three receivers in general. I don't know if they have enough room to actually take three receivers in this class. So, with that said, um, you know, you had Janon Mickens, you had Darius Rogers, and you had Jordan Payton all participating in this event. And it was interesting. Obviously, you know, you've got better quarterbacks on some teams, and you always got to take that into account. And, you know, the competition they're playing against and, the, you know, the players that they're playing with also. You know, 1925 is a very good team from top to bottom. Uh, that's a team that's picked by Keyshawn and Brian Kelly. So you have really good players throughout. Um, whereas, you know, Darius Rogers is playing on a team uh, which was not as good talent-wise uh, man for man. Um, but still, you know, I think it was interesting. Uh, watching Jadon Mickens, I guess I'll start with him specifically because a lot of people were really excited about him watching some of the video that we put up. A uh, very explosive player. You know, we've seen him first at the Asante um, camp, which was back in February, and then we saw him again at the Palo Alto Nike camp. And we love this ability to make cuts, his balance, he's explosive, um, the agility that he shows. But he's still a player that you're going to have as a complementary player to other players. He's still going to be a receiver that is part of the receiving core and is a facet of that receiving core and not necessarily the number one receiver. Um, he's definitely bulked up in weight. He's about 185 pounds now. He was looking pretty ripped out there. Uh, but he's about 5'9", 185 pounds, but still more of a specialty slot player. And I love his speed. 
I like what he brings to the class and to USC's roster because he is a specific type of receiver. Um, but, you know, again, he, he's not necessarily an every-down receiver. And so you have to look at that both ways. I like it because I think you can put him next to George Farmer. You can put him next to Robert Woods. You can put him next uh, to Devon Fournoy, and he has that great track speed. Um, didn't really blow everybody away in track this year's Best time was a 10-8, um, but I think he's really faster now. Watching him again in this tournament, I mean, he just explodes downfield. He is, you know, 0-60 to in the blink of an eye, and if there's single deep coverage, I mean, he just runs by people just so quickly and I think was probably one of the more explosive players of this whole tournament. And so I, I kind of like putting him with that other receiver. You know, you can recruit a big receiver, and he can, you know, kind of compliment him and be a different guy. Uh, whereas when you have Darius Rogers and Jordan Payton, those guys are possession receivers. Uh, they could work maybe better as a one or two receiver on a team uh, and, and maybe be guys that, you know, could end up catching more passes uh, just, you know, overall as possession receivers, but not necessarily guys that, you know, do they do any one thing great? Um, are they just kind of similar to each other? Are they similar to some of the receivers that USC already has? You know, how different is Jordan Payton from Victor Blackwell? Uh, not terribly different. Um, I think Jordan Payton's a little more powerful. He's a little bigger. He's a stronger runner, but he's definitely still a guy that you're going to try to work underneath. You're going to use him in the horizontal passing game, and he's not necessarily going to be a guy that gets vertical. I think his speed is deceptive. Um, I think, you know, I saw him get open a couple times in the post corner. They didn't throw the ball to him. And the good thing about Jordan that I've seen over the past few months is that he hasn't been real pouty about those type of, you know, moments and, and those instances where he is open and doesn't get the ball. He's competitive, you know, he wants to get the ball, he wants to be the guy, but he seems to be a player that's kind of working back to prove himself again. Because as a sophomore, everybody knew about him. He was a big-time player, was already getting offers. We saw him coming out of his freshman year at the Edison Passing Tournament down in Huntington Beach, and he was the most dominant player on a really good Oaks Christian team, and he was, you know, one of the underclassmen. And so, you know, he had a name for himself early on, and last year he had some injuries. A lot of people say, you know, he kind of got a big head, had the USC offer, was already committed, and player that, you know, didn't really work as hard and wasn't out there pushing himself um, because he wasn't as hungry. Well, I think now you're, he's, he's heard that. He's heard that criticism, and it seems like he's out there working hard, and he's trying to be humble, and he's trying to be, you know, a better player, a guy that's proved that, you know, I am a four-star guy, I am a Rivals 100 guy, and I'm an Army of American type player. So, I like that with him. But again, possession receiver. And, you know, he doesn't do one thing great that I've seen, and USC is going to have to evaluate that. With Darius Rodgers, he was probably the most unstoppable receiver at the tournament. Um, I think, you know, when you talk about a guy that you just can throw the ball up to and say, hey, you know, go get it, he's that kind of player. Um, he made a lot of big-time circus catches, a lot of catches where he's just jumping over cornerbacks and just taking the ball right out of midair over them, scoring touchdowns. He really plays like a guy that's, you know, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he's not that big, and that's really more of a concern is that he kind of leans on playing really big and, and loves to just go to the fade route and say, okay, just throw the ball up to me and I'll take it away from the defensive back. I think in college – that's going to be harder to do. I don't think he's going to be able to do that consistently. He's going to have to develop more underneath because, again, kind of like Peyton, I think he's even less quick, not as fast, 
I don't know if he's got great top-end speed. He's definitely a long strider, so it kind of takes him a little bit of time to get off his brakes, to kind of push and get downfield. And so when you're talking about a guy, is he going to be a vertical threat? Is he a guy that's going to be, you know, kind of that underneath target? Again, possession receiver, he's the latter. He's the possession receiver. He's going to have to work a little better on his routes underneath. He does catch the ball extremely well. He has great hand placement. I think his hands are probably the strongest asset attribute that he has because he's got big hands and he locks onto that ball really well. He catches the ball away from his body all the time and he positions his body really well underneath when he's playing against defensive backs. Um, but, you know, when the pads go on, the game becomes a little slower and I think it's easier for those defensive backs to kind of grab onto him and kind of muscle him up a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see, you know, how he develops this senior year. Um, but again, you know, you're kind of looking at a guy. Is he necessarily a complement to other receivers that USC already has? Or is he a guy that kind of needs to be his own guy? Is he a guy that does a lot of things that they already have in the receiving court? You know, all questions. He talked a lot about Arizona State. He just took an unofficial visit to Arizona State. And it sounds like Arizona State is a school that he's really, really interested in. So, you know, these things have a long ways to play out. Signing day is not not around the corner, and believe me, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's even longer uh, when you talk about the drama and all the things that can happen between now and then, and you're looking at a whole season that can happen. A lot of things are going to happen with USC, how they play, how other teams play, and how these visits go, and he's going to be one of those guys that's going to look around, as Jordan Payton is, as J.R. Mickens is. So, you know, you can look at USC saying, you know, do we really want these guys? But at the same time, these guys may decide, you know what, I'm not sure I want to go to USC. USC's got a lot of talent. I don't know if I'm going to play right away. I want to be the man. And I think Darius Rogers, more than the other two, kind of has that in his head. I think he wants to be the man. He feels that he can be dominant. And it's going to be kind of a, a little bit of touch and go where the USC can convince him, hey, you know, we've got a lot of guys, but you're still a guy that we want to. He played safety as well in this event. Didn't really see a lot from him, you know, coverage-wise. He, he, he made some good reads here and there, but then he made some bad reads also. A couple times you saw him come up. You know, if it was in pads, you would be able to see him, you know, see if he would come up and, and be able to hit somebody, and that would have been nice to see. Um, I think one thing to point out about Darius Rogers, because we talked about it in the past, physically as an athlete, he definitely has more upside at other positions than the other two players. Mickens and Payton are really most likely going to play wide receiver. Rodgers is a big boy. He's about 200 pounds now. He's about 6'1 and 6'2", and he really doesn't look like a guy that's lifted a lot of weight. I mean, you talk about Mickens bulking up to 185. I mean, Darius Rodgers looked like he could be 230. So you kind of start to wonder a little bit. Your mind starts to go, and you start to imagine, okay, where would this guy be playing strong safety? Could he actually bulk up and play linebacker? Those questions come up, but then more questions are raised because you go, well, okay, is he physical enough to be able to come up and play those positions? Could he play linebacker? Does he have the mentality to play linebacker? Because you may have the body, you know, like DJ Shoemate, but just not have the mentality to be able to play defense. So those are questions that, you know, have yet to be answered. His senior year will be able to see more of that. But as a receiver, we saw a lot of good things. The one thing I pointed out about Jordan Payton, which I liked, wasn't a lot of frustration, didn't get the ball a lot. But with Darius Rogers, there's a few times he didn't get the ball. He's very visibly frustrated by that. He's one of those guys that gets after the quarterback. He gets mad. He starts looking at the coach. I'm open, I'm open. Darius Rogers is not open very often. He's not a guy that has a lot of separation. He's not going to blow by you. He's a guy that really muscles up. 
He gets, you know, these passes that are in the end zone. He takes them out of midair, but he's covered. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. He's covering a lot. You can throw the ball up to him, and he's going to catch it, but you've got to have that confidence in him. So I can see where a lot of quarterbacks are looking and going, eh, he's marginally open. I don't know if I can fit it in there. Well, you've got to just kind of suck it up and have a confidence that he's going to make that play even if he's covered. That's kind of his game. He's going to be covered. He's not a guy that's going to get a lot of separation, but he still, in a lot of instances, can catch that ball. So that's going to be interesting, but he's got to be, you know, a little more cognizant of what everybody else sees when he's getting frustrated and he's starting to voice, you know, his frustration. You can see it on his face. Teams will use that against them. And so that's not necessarily a good thing. You don't want to see that in the huddle. So, you know, with those three guys that are committed, you know, that's kind of the breakdown of them that we saw. We saw some good things. We saw some eh, okay things. And, again, it's still, you know, kind of open-ended whether all three of those guys end up at USC. Do you think it's important to, to go to these kind of seven-on-seven seven tournaments as far as impressing college coaches? I mean, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, kind of seem to be influential in the recruiting process. College coaches aren't out there. But is that important, you think, for the recruiting of these prospects, the, how they perform in these kind of tournaments? You know, it's minimal um, because passing tournaments to me are really, I don't know, they, they're just, just not football, and, and it's, you're not playing on a full field. Um, the rules are different. It's kind of sort of basketball on grass in a lot of instances. And so, you know, for me, I, I kind of get bored at some of these things. If, if there's not a specific player for me to watch that I'm really interested in and I really want to see, you know, in terms of, you know, how they play in space, how to catch the ball, you know, just certain skills that you can see and you can evaluate during these type of events, but there's a lot to football that you don't see at these type of events too. So if you're there just trying to see guys and trying to get a feel for how they are as players from, from a ground level, I think it's minimally um, important. I think if you've seen a guy already play football, if you've seen him in the camp situation, which is I think a little better, I think combines and camps are a little more helpful uh, than these type of events. If you've seen them there and you kind of have a ground-level understanding of, of what this player brings to the table, I think then you can kind of look at a passing tournament and you can kind of make further evaluations and kind of confirm some things that are already, you know, in your head analysis-wise. Um, interesting. I don't know. And it's hard to tell. I mean, US, you're talking about the different receivers that USC is recruiting there. Looking at all, I mean, they are kind of different. Um what do you predict? Do you think that all three of those guys that are committed to USC are going to remain that way? Well, the prediction, the the, the question. You don't like ball, predictions. Never mind. I don't know. Well, I, I, know. <laughs> I, I would say this. I would say there's there's less than a forty percent chance that all three of those guys stay committed to USC and end up signing with USC. I, I, I think that there's really not a good chance of that happening. That's that's my gut, and I know that there's one guy that is kind of I'm getting the vibe that USC's already maybe backing off on. So there's some there's some things definitely in the work and it's fluid and USC is gonna watch some of these other players. Um and I'll mention some of these other guys that were at the tournament that, you know, could still get looks from USC. I know there's a lot of people out there going, Don't talk anymore about receivers. We don't want to hear about receivers. But the truth of the matter is that all three of the receivers that are currently committed to USC, they could all not end up at USC. I mean, all of them could end up going to other schools. Jordan Payton wants to take visits. He, you know, he's open. Maybe USC doesn't necessarily want to take him. Um, J.R. Mickens is looking at schools. Maybe USC decides, eh, he's too small. 
same thing with Darius Rogers. He likes Arizona State. Well, USC seems to be on him, but maybe he decides that he wants to go to Arizona State because he can be the number one receiver there. USC's got George Farmer, Robert Woods, and Devon Flournoy, and all these other great receivers. So, you know, it's one of these things where all three of these guys could end up removing themselves from the equation. So, you know, one of the guys that really had a great tournament and a kid that we like a lot is Bryce Triggs. Bryce Triggs is a, you know, about 5'11", 170-pound receiver uh, from uh, St. John Bosco, and really a smooth receiver, a receiver that's got great running skills. Uh, his route running is particularly really strong. He's really good in terms of kind of disguising his routes. I think that's one thing that really stood out to me in this tournament um, when you're talking about passing tournaments. I think receivers, you get to see more from them really than anybody and I think, you know, he's not necessarily a blazer. I think he's, you know, he's got average to above average speed. But the thing that makes him so good and makes him so effective is that he's very subtle in his route running. And on a post corner or the more complex option routes where he's reading the safety and he could run maybe an out, he could run maybe a skinny post, he's kind of reading the defense He's really good. That's where he really shines. And he's also very good at tracking the ball deep. So, you know, that ball goes deep, and I've seen a lot of safeties, especially in an event like this where you kind of got a mixed bag of talent at safety. Not a lot of ton, you know, it's not really a great year for safeties across the board, um, and especially in Southern California. So you get guys that are kind of playing safety, and you wonder if they're really going to be safeties uh, in college, even if they've got Division One talent. And you get to see him track that ball in the air. And when the ball goes in the air, sometimes guys just take bad angles. They about Bryce Trace is he really, really takes good angles. He knows where that ball is going to be, and he always finds himself in that right position. Now, the thing about Trace, which is the negative aspect of his game, is that he's very slight and he's not very physical. So he's a guy that I could see, you know, more physical, strong, big corner to get up on the line of scrimmage and really, really kind of just bog him down and not allow him to be able to get off the line of scrimmage and make a play downfield. So there's kind of some of those things that you kind of have to balance a little bit. But he's a guy, you know, USC has talked to, and, and I know that they're they're kind of involved with him. He's kind of, kind of I think, gone past USC at this point and is looking at other schools. Um, I, you know, I know he's really interested in Cal. He kind of reminds me a lot of Robert Jordan, who played for Cal a number of years. I think he was number 11. Uh, if you remember, he played with Deshaun Jackson, and he was kind of a similar receiver. Not a big guy, sort of slight, but a good receiver that made a lot of plays for Cal. I think he was like a three-year starter for Cal. So that's kind of sort of what Bryce Treggs reminds me of, um, a guy that's similar to him is Gabe Marks. Gabe Marks is a, a little more of a gamer, but um, about the same size as Treggs, a little bigger, um, and it allows him to be a little more physical. I've seen him make some really good catches in traffic at this game or uh, slash event, um, and he wasn't even at the event for both days. It was a two-day event, and he only showed up for the second day, but the interesting thing about Marks is that the team that he played on, uh, team fourth quarter, they lost all of their games the first day. He comes the second day, and they end up getting to the championship game, winning the championship game against 1925. So that shows you how important he was to that team. And he really was kind of the catalyst there. I mean, this guy made clutch catch after clutch catch. Um, you know, how does he fit in the grand scheme of things with USC? Again, he's a receiver. It's really going to be hard to get a receiver offer, especially with the guys committed. Uh, but if, you know, everybody vacates and there's a lot of movement there, He's not totally out of the question. Smooth, fantastic hands. Like I said, he's a gamer. You throw that ball up, that kid is going to try to find a way to come down with it. You know, saw him go against, 
Ishmael Adams, saw him go against Johnny Johnson, and he gave them fits. He may have really given them more of a run for their money than any of the receivers in the event. So it was cool. It was good to watch some of these guys. You know, they're smaller. Again, when you're talking about USC, you're talking about the wide receiver position that scholarship offers. You know, I think it's important to look at what's on the roster and not just look at these guys individually and say, okay, how good are they? I think USC, knowing that the scholarship limitations go on from year after year, they kind of have to look at, you know, who's graduating the next couple of years and who might be the best fit within the team aspect of things. All right, Gerard. Well, great stuff as always. We appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking recruiting. There's going to be a lot more, obviously, coming in the, uh, in the coming months and more offers going out. It's going to be more – it's a little more unique right now just because USC's got the, the limit number, but there's still going to be some, some offers out there and some probably some interesting twists and turns, and I know you'll be keeping on top of it for all of us here at USCfootball.com. I think there's – no short amount of surprises in the future. I think there's plenty that can happen. And um, like I said, it's fluid. And we'll kind of see how USC works it from a strategic standpoint. So, you know, we'll be on top of it as always. All right. Well, appreciate it, Gerard. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And we'll uh, talk to you again next week. Thanks for having me. And everyone else, thank you for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next Monday for another exciting show talking all about the USC Trojans. Stay tuned. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 